grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord that I invite you to meditate upon with me at this time this morning is that which served as our gospel lesson taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. And I'll try to get this reset for us here. Let us bow our heads to pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On May 23rd, 2013, a meteorite fell from the sky and struck this man's car as it was parked along the street in Montreal, Canada. If you are the owner of this car, what is going through your mind. Perhaps out of all the places on God's green earth and out of all the cars that are driving around, why does it have to impact mine? Right? Why me? Or perhaps you've lost hearing in your left ear. You go to the doctor and the doctor does some tests and he comes back to you and he says, well... You are one in a million case. You have acoustic neuroma. You go, what's that? He says, well, you have a tumor growing near your ear, and that tumor is putting pressure on your acoustic nerve, and that's why you can't hear. Do you go home thinking you're somebody special? Why me again, right? When we use that phrase, when we ask the question, why me... Is it because we feel that we're getting what we have coming or we're getting what we don't have coming? That's an important question for us to ask frequently in our lives. Typically, we ask the question, why me, when bad things happen to us, right? Implying that we're not worthy of this. But how frequently do do we ask the question, why me, when good things happen? For example, if you walk into the grocery store and all of a sudden there are bells ringing and there are lights flashing and the owner of the franchise comes running over to you and says, congratulations, you're our one millionth customer. And as an award, you get $1,000 of free groceries. Are the first words out of your mouth, why me? Why me? Throughout the season of Advent, we've been looking at the gifts that Jesus came to give us. Gifts of hope, peace, and joy. Why you, why me? Are those gifts that you have coming, are they gifts that I have coming? Our lesson today, as we observe Elizabeth and Mary, will help us answer that question as we get into our fourth and final gift that our Lord Jesus came to give us, the gift of love. And our lesson today begins with two women who were cousins, Mary and Elizabeth. Both were pregnant. Elizabeth became pregnant in her old age. Mary, her cousin had heard from the angel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to a baby too. Did they have these babies coming? 
Let's listen to the words of these women as this story unfolds. First of all, we are told that as Mary entered into the house of her cousin Elizabeth and greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth literally got a kick out of it. The baby in her womb leaped for joy as soon as his ears heard the greeting of Mary. This was a special thing. And now with that in mind, we have Elizabeth who goes on to say, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's a why me phrase in here, isn't there? Why am I so favored? Does Elizabeth sound like she has this coming? Actually, she's implying just the opposite, isn't she? Why am I so favored? Why am I so blessed? What makes me so special that now the mother of my Lord is standing here in my house in front of me? Then we go from there to Mary. She hears Elizabeth say to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, if you're Mary, are you thinking you're special at this point? What could you imagine someone in Mary's position actually saying? Why, yes, I am special. Elizabeth, you're giving birth to a prophet, but I'm giving birth to the Son of God. Neener, neener. But this is what Mary responds with. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. There's a veiled why me phrase here too, isn't there? The Lord has been mindful of what? The humble state of his servant. I am lowly, I am empty, I am nothing, she is saying of herself. And yet the Lord has been mindful of me. I am a servant. I am not a master. I am owed nothing. Why me? And that's a question that you and I need to be able to answer for ourselves too, right? Because God interacts with you and with me. And he gives us many things in this world. Some things that feel pleasant, some things that hurt. And frequently we ask the question, why me? Well, how is it that both Elizabeth and Mary were able to respond in the way that they did? How did they understand that they didn't have these blessings coming from the Lord? Well, it was because throughout their lives they had been nurtured in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit had taught them that they didn't have anything good coming from God. And it's through the song of Mary the song that the Holy Spirit inspired Mary to write, that the Spirit is teaching you and me the same lesson today. Let's dig into Mary's words. Notice what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord. Literally, my soul speaks greatly of God. Well, why is God great? back because the Lord tells us that 
he is the Holy One. Mary calls his name the Holy Name. Okay? So why is God great? Because God is mighty in power, and God is special because of his love. And here's what makes God's love so special for you and for me. What does God look at when he looks at the people of this world? What does he see? Does he see some who stand out from the rest? The Apostle Paul wrote, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. How does that leave you feeling? Pretty sweet about yourself? No one righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. And so when God looks at the world, this is what he sees. A whole bin of rotten apples. There is not one thing, as far as God is concerned, that distinguishes you from me and who you are and how you've lived. In our world, we tend to distinguish between people, right? We talk about those who are achievers and those who are do-nothings, those who are bright and those who are dim, those who, who are blessed and privileged and those who are underprivileged. That's how we make distinctions. This is what God sees. Mary saw herself as one of those rotten apples. Elizabeth saw herself as a rotten apple. And so when it came to the love that they were receiving from God, what did they have to conclude? I don't have it coming. And that's what the Lord would have us conclude as well. Mary said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. The word holy literally means to set apart or to be set apart. Mary is saying, God is set apart from everybody else. He's set apart, first of all, in His might. No one can compare to God. No one can match Him. There are plenty of people who have tried to go toe-to-toe with God in this life and in this world and guess what? They always come out on the losing end. Satan found it out. Adam and Eve found it out. And so do all who turn against the Lord. The Lord's power is matchless. But then it goes on, and it says, holy is his name. There's one other thing that can't be matched about the Lord that sets him apart, and that's his love. <laughs> The Lord sees nothing but rotten apples here on earth, but what does he do? He sends his own son into this world to be born of a sinful woman and not to do something for himself, but to do something for everyone here. Brothers and sisters, our God is someone who loves those who hate him, who loves those who can do nothing good, who loves those who are corrupt to the core. That's what makes his name holy. How many of the people who hate you do you love? When's the last time you gave a gift to your worst enemy? Brothers and sisters, God has given Jesus to you and me, even though we were his worst enemies. 
And throughout history, the Lord in his love has been reminding people that they don't have his love coming so that they're able to appreciate what his love is. Here Mary says of the Lord, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Thrones. Are thrones on the same level as the rest of the people? Are they down here? Thrones are up high. There's a reason for that, right? Why do rulers put their chairs up high? Because they're trying to make a statement. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher than you. I'm better than you. And I'm worthy of your honor and your respect and your devotion. And typically, rulers don't see themselves as in need of God and his love, but entitled to God's love and God's service. And so what does the Lord do? He brings them down. He did it to King Nebuchadnezzar when King Nebuchadnezzar was taking glory for this vast kingdom and, and the rule that he had to himself. The Lord gave him a bout of insanity. Moses and Aaron complained to the people of Israel, must we give you water from this rock again? And the Lord said, because you failed to honor me before the people of Israel, you will not enter the land of promise. The Lord brought them down, leading those who think they have it coming to understand the truth that they don't have God's love coming. At the same time, what does the Lord do? He has filled up the hungry with good things. It's when you and I realize that we deserve nothing good from God that we become hungry, right? I don't have anything coming, Lord, except to be banished from you, to be sent out in darkness, and to be left in the cold forever. Lord, I crave your acceptance. I crave your peace. I crave something besides darkness. And the Lord provides it, doesn't he? Through the little baby that Mary was carrying in her womb at this time. He was the one who fills the hungry with good things. Who's come to fill you and me with good things. Think of it. This baby was born and became a man to claim that which would condemn you and me to an eternity apart from God. He took that to himself and he suffered for it when he died. He didn't have it coming. He took what you had coming and I had coming. And Jesus, the one who loved his father perfectly, gave away what he had coming. And that was peace with his father and eternity with his father. It's a gift. Tomorrow night, some of you may be opening gifts, right? When's the last time you opened a gift and you found a, 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 an invoice in there that said, you owe Target $85? Is it a gift anymore? Not if you had to pay for it. The love of Jesus Christ, the love of God is a gift because he's paid for it. Though you and I have nothing coming, he has given us everything. 
And so it is with that that we have to say with the Apostle John, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. That's what Amelia is since she was baptized. That's what you and I are through our baptisms. So think of the gifts that we've studied, that we've received from God through Jesus Christ during this Advent season. The gift of hope, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, and now the gift of love. All these are yours. All these are mine. So brothers and sisters, go and enjoy your Christmas gifts because they're gifts that you don't have coming, but they're yours by the grace and love of God. Hold on to them. And you know what? Share them with the people who don't know what they are and what they're missing. Amen.